and welcome back to State of Mind Series 6. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Thank you so, so much for being a supporter of my podcast. It means so much to me that you're all here. And I honestly can't believe I've got to Series 6. I think it's about episode 70-something, I want to say, which is a huge achievement. So thanks all so much for sticking around. This series is going to be focused on bringing you slightly shorter but more informative episodes. Don't worry, my ramble chats with lovely and inspiring people will be back, but this Series 6 is an opportunity for us to delve into specific topics within health and nutrition and learn from the experts. Today, I'm thrilled to reintroduce Debbie Lewis to the podcast, a great friend and mentor of mine, and one of a select few Institute for Functional Medicine registered practitioners here in the UK. Debbie is here to talk about porridge and why it's not the best breakfast option out there, no matter how beautiful it looks on Instagram. The reason this episode came about is because I took to Instagram recently to share my experience with having porridge for breakfast a few weeks ago. Usually I stick to eggs and veg, a lovely protein rich breakfast, but for some reason or another I decided to have porridge one morning and felt so sluggish, tired and headachey afterwards. I pretty much broke my Instagram DMs after posting about it so I thought I'd delve into the topic further with Debbie's help. I've also just published yesterday an ebook called Eggs and Veg, which has a lot of info in about blood sugar and the importance of maintaining steady levels, plus lots of delicious protein-based breakfast ideas to keep you inspired. It's just $10.99 and downloadable via my website, gracekingswell.com. Please share this podcast with your mates and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app if you can, so that I can keep growing and producing podcasts for you all. Okay, on with the episode. Welcome, Debbie Lewis, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Grace. You know, I'm always really excited to talk about the protein breakfast, so um, thank you for the invite. Yeah, so this is just going to be a lovely short episode for people to just delve slightly deeper into what is now being called on Instagram, Porridge Gate. Um, (laughs) And to give those some context that haven't uh, been been taking part in this over on social media, I um, posted a bowl of porridge the other morning and uh, the caption was something like, I wish I could turn back time and not not have eaten this because I now feel terrible. And I then elaborated a little bit about what I meant and uh, suggested that when we consume a more protein-based breakfast, we are fuller for longer our energy's more stable and we don't have so much of a blood sugar spike. And this then sparked a huge um, collective worry, I would say, from people who really, really enjoy their morning bowl of porridge. And actually, I'd go so far as to say, you know, can't go without it, are addicted to that sort of sweet hit first thing in the morning. And um, as you say, Debbie, you are a huge fan of the protein-based breakfast. So we're going to delve into this today. Um the first thing I want to ask you is, what is the problem with porridge? <laughs> Great question, Grace. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, like anything, so there's no perfect diet for everybody, agreed, right? So there, there are always mm-hmm. going to be individual differences in our genetics, how we manage carbohydrates, how we manage sugars. And what I always say to people is, if you feel great on how you're eating, then 
brilliant. Keep going with it. Like, so if you're having porridge for breakfast with some maple syrup and some berries on it and maybe a bit of yogurt and you feel fantastic, then good for you. You know, if you're not having problems with your hormones, you're not having problems with your mood being unstable, if your weight is really, really nice and even, if you're not getting energy dips in the afternoon, you don't feel like you need to snack all the time, you're sleeping fantastic, your bowel function is fantastic, you've got no signs that your body has got any type of inflammation like aches and pains, and you've got great energy, all of those are signs that actually your blood sugar control is great. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it. But if you are not feeling like that and you're having the opposite things, you're finding it's hard to lose weight, you don't feel like you've got great energy throughout the day, you want to snack at 11 o'clock, you feel really hungry, perhaps you've got skin conditions, acne, you get PMS, your bleeding's heavy, then blood sugar control might be something that you want to have a look at. Mm. And that was such a great answer because I think he probably listed, well, everyone listening to this, unless they're super lucky, will probably be able to tick one of those boxes at some stage, you know, whether it's PMS, whether it's um, eczema or spots or, you know, those things that we assume are not connected to anything else. Um, and actually, when we start looking at blood sugar, we realise that it's connected to everything else um, in our bodies and, and with the way our physiology works. So I think you touched on something really interesting there, which is that, you know, we are all so different and we all deal um, differently with blood sugar and we'll have a, a, a different insulin response to the person standing next to us. So if you feel fantastic, you know, you do you, that's great. Um, for those that don't, and actually that was the overwhelming response that I got on Instagram was people saying, oh, maybe this is why I feel really tired after having porridge or maybe this is why I don't sleep that well at night because they, they realised that they were having something sugary after their evening meal. Um, what could people do to improve that? Say, for example, they didn't want to give up their porridge, Debbie. What could they do? <laughs> well, I would say to them, have a go. Have a go at giving up your porridge and see what happens, genuinely, because I am really keen on people becoming the experts on their own bodies, right? So you mm. are the one in the driving seat. You're the one who lives in your body every day. And you are the best expert on what does and doesn't work for you. So I would say, I know you love your porridge. How about mm. giving it seven days? And honestly, seven days is enough to notice a difference. So how about just for seven days, you have a go and see if you add in a protein breakfast, do you feel any different? You know, and it's all those things we were talking about, Grace. Do you feel like you're not cruising around the kitchen at 10 o'clock looking for something to eat before you go to bed? Or have you found that in the afternoon at three o'clock, you're not suddenly going, oh my gosh, I really need another cup of coffee? Or at 11 o'clock, seriously, where are the biscuits? You know, mm. I honestly have not had anybody do the seven day protein breakfast and not notice that something's different. Mm. There will be something yeah. that's different if you try it. So I would really, really encourage people to, to have a go at it. If only for seven days, everybody can give up porridge for seven days. Um, mm. I would be really stunned if you didn't notice that nothing changed. Mm. And to those people that, that say, oh, I just, I could not live without my porridge in the morning. I would say to you, then 
that is your clue that something is wrong, right? Because we need to examine our relationship to everything in our lives, our relationship to sleep, to coffee, to dark chocolate, God forbid, um, you know, to, to having a sweet breakfast. If, if that is something you feel like you cannot go without, then that's your sign that there's blood sugar issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I hear um, people saying often is, well, you know, I'm not really that hungry in the morning, so I just have a banana, which is a carbohydrate-based mm. breakfast, right? So I'm not that hungry. Oh, I just have a banana or a quick bit of toast. So I'd say mm. to people then, you know, maybe maybe don't eat, like, if you're not hungry. Maybe give it a bit longer. Maybe actually you need to do a bit of exercise in the morning, which some people do mm. in order to really stimulate the hunger. And many, many people in the morning if they don't feel hungry, it's often because they've ate too late the night before. And so there mm. are other things that perhaps people need to look at if they are getting up in the morning and going, oh my gosh, I've got to get into that bowl of porridge. You mm. know? Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about insulin and insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, type 1 diabetes aside, which is a, a genetic condition that's, you know, autoimmune and, and we have very little control over insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes and actually polycystic ovarian syndrome I think are all things that are worth talking about um you know if you are a 20 something or 30 something individual and you exercise a lot and you eat a, a quote-unquote healthy diet of you know lots of granola and lots of date balls and lots of brown rice pasta and carbs and carbs and carbs and sugar and tropical fruit is pre-diabetes and insulin resistance something that you should be wary about or worried about yeah yeah and it's something that that gradually creeps up over time grace it's not something like you wake up in the morning and suddenly you've got hit with insulin resistance right it's some a process that's happening in the body that builds up over time and, and really mm. simply what's happening is when you um, eat carbohydrates, they get converted into glucose, into your bloodstream, essentially. And what the body does in order to regulate the amount of glucose in the bloodstream is it produces insulin from your pancreas. And like many people know, it kind of acts like a key that fits into the lock and it allows that glucose out of the bloodstream and, and gets into our cells. Now, if there is more glucose in the bloodstream than can get into our cells, two things happen. The first thing is that glucose gets moved into the liver and it gets stored as something called glycogen. And then when the liver gets full, it then gets stored in the body as fat. Okay, and, and often, you know, this kind of tire that we look at around our stomach <laughs> when mm. we're not happy and we feel like our weight has increased. So that's the really sort of basic principle of, of, of blood glucose and insulin. Now, what can happen over time, and it is something that happens over time in, in type 2 diabetes, or, or if we become pre-diabetic or insulin resistance, is that over many years, what's happened is those blood glucose levels, levels have become significantly high, and they've stayed high over time. So what's happened is, is a response to that. The pancreas has been producing insulin, producing insulin, producing insulin, producing insulin, and this insulin has been literally banging on the receptors of our insulin receptors, trying to get that glucose actually into mm. the cells. What happens with insulin receptors is eventually those insulin receptors are like, nope, nope, you can keep knocking, but mm, nope, I don't think so. That's not happening. Nope, 
and they get fed up with insulin knocking on their door. So what eventually happens is you've got higher levels of, of glucose actually moving through the bloodstream, moving through the cardiovascular stream. And that's why people who are you know, pre-diabetic or have type 2 diabetes have such significant problems with inflammation in the body. It causes inflammation, mm. it increases our cardiovascular risk, and it's literally because those, those um, glucose levels have been high for long periods of time. And that's why it's something that, that creeps up, right? Our insulin receptors don't start off going, you know what, no, you're not knocking at my door, I haven't had enough of it. It's something that happens over time. Mm. So it's something would you that's, say, sorry, yeah, so it's something that's very cumulative in the body. Yeah, and I was, I was thinking that presumably that then means that people normalise the feeling of um, sugar highs and sugar lows and this kind of creeping up of insulin resistance so that, like you say, we don't just wake up one day feeling terrible. It's like sleep deprivation. We normalise it over a long period of time and therefore we're so much less likely to think that we need to change our lifestyles absolutely and I and it's something really um you know I work with a lot of of, of women in in perimenopause um who or who've been through the menopause and weight gain is is a real concern for women perimenopausally and you know there's often lots of discussion around um dropping levels of estrogen and how that impacts on um, our bodies and the slowing of thyroid all of which are important mm. But I actually think that there's a really large piece of, of weight gain for women as they age that, that's not entirely to do with their hormone shifting. I do think that, that it is a lifetime of, you know, high levels of glucose in the body and a lack of, of, of sensitivity of the insulin receptors. It's just chipped on over time. And by the time you get to 45, 50, 55 that becomes significantly noticeable. And I don't think we can just always blame weight gain in women mm. of that age just on our hormones, actually. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So let's talk about this slow-releasing clause um, that uh, Public Health England, I suppose, love to to peddle. And, um, you know, that it may, it may be true, you know, in oats in comparison to a different type of carb carbohydrate may be slow releasing but could you explain first of all what does that mean and for those for those people that are listening thinking well oats are slow release so therefore they're good for me what is it that's going on there you know why are we told that okay so so there's definitely so if you think about what happens when we eat so we eat our food goes into our stomach um, our stomach then turns into liquid called chyme. It then moves into the small intestine and then it needs to get absorbed into our bloodstreams, right? So many of us know if you drink alcohol on an empty stomach, it gets into your stomach and it goes bang straight into your bloodstream and you're like mm. way drunker than you ever thought you could be, which is why people say if you drink alcohol, you need to have some food in your stomach because actually what happens is it literally slows down how that alcohol is absorbed into your bloodstream. Now, mm. carbohydrates in any food is no different, right? So if you literally just have, you know, three tablespoons of maple syrup by themselves on an empty stomach, it literally then goes down into the small intestine and it's like boom, straight into your bloodstream. Now, mm -hmm. if you mix up carbohydrates with other things like fats or proteins, literally when that liquid comes out of your stomach and goes into the small intestine, there are other things in there that means that absorption is going to be slowed. Now, 
the benefit of, you know, what we call our kind of like good carbohydrates, you know, for some people, kind of grains or things we think about in terms of oats, um, they are mixed with fibre, essentially. And that's the kind of roughage, like the husky bit around it. So yeah, if you're going to be mixing your carbohydrates like oats with a bit of fibre, by the time that gets into the bloodstream, gets into the small intestine, the way that it's absorbed is much slower. So Mm. That is true, right? That is mm. the case. But still carbohydrates, and when it hits the bloodstream, it's still glucose, and it still triggers an insulin response. Now, mm. that may or may not be okay for you. The difference with a protein breakfast is you are not triggering that insulin response. You know, protein and fat don't trigger insulin. Simple as that. So you're mm. you're kind of literally taking away the problem <laughs> before even you're worrying about how the body responds to it or mixing it or slow releasing it and all those other parts, you're, you're not triggering insulin if you're not, if you haven't got glucose. Mm. So could we say that oats aren't intrinsically the problem? The problem is carbohydrates. Carbohydrate. well, the problem is eventually when it hits in your bloodstream, it's glucose, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So... Can you just eat porridge with a boiled egg on the side? Well, some some people do, right? So some people go like, I love my porridge. I'm not giving up my porridge. But how about if I have a boiled egg on the side and some avocado and some veggies? Mm. And again, I would say a bit like the seven day challenge, try it. Like, you know, if if you feel like if you do the seven day challenge and you eat a protein breakfast, take out, you know, the carbohydrates like the porridge and the granola, see how you mm. feel. And then in, in a week's time, you go for a small bowl of porridge with half an avocado and a boiled egg next to it and see if you feel the same. And you can mm. tell, right? Because mm. you will be noticing the difference. And that's why I really encourage people just to try it and see how it is. So the thing that I think is probably the um, why this gets so confused or not confused but what's making it worse is that people these days aren't necessarily having a bowl of porridge made with full fat cow's milk which contains both protein and fat they're having a bowl of porridge which is oats made with oat milk which is more oats which is just a bowl of sh- sugar essentially so with some berries with some berries and some maple syrup and some dates yeah and I was talking to my my um, best friend from school is uh she loves to question me on things like this and um you know she's never been sort of into massively into the kind of wellness industry and she sent me a picture this morning of her bowl of porridge just saying best breakfast ever (laughs) and I said to her I was like well this is great and you're illustrating my point because I know that you don't necessarily buy into dairy is bad and I know that you've made that bowl of porridge with full fat milk and you're eating it with peanut butter and that's very very different to making a bowl of oats with oat milk and then putting frozen berries chopped banana uh, drizzle of maple syrup almond butter you know, and throwing the whole kitchen pantry at the situation. Um, what's your take on that? I mean, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is not also not just porridge, but a lot of these kind of healthy granola cereals, because not only are they kind of oats, but they've also got some type of maple syrup or honey or mm. some other type of the fructose stick it or together. sweetener just to stick the whole thing together. And, and you know, in some ways, compared to porridge... <laughs> Porridge looks like a good alternative to some of those sort of sweetened breakfast foods. Um, I do think that there are ways that you can help balance your porridge breakfast if, if 
that is something that, you, again, you feel good on. And some easy things that I talk to people about is, you know, you would probably have like a smaller amount of maybe with oats. And again, you would be using like a full fat milk if you drink cow's milk, um, adding in some coconut oil, some ghee, some nut butter. I often recommend people put in like a collagen powder or a protein powder. Um, I also, you know, when my when my children were small and I was kind of just, you know, starting on this this journey of our children our diet I actually used to put egg into it so I actually would you know take it off the pan and stir an egg in and it it, it sounds weirder than it is and I would say to people think custard don't think scrambled egg um that's what Nick does yeah, does he, he puts an egg in his yeah, porridge stick an egg in it. and it doesn't scramble yeah. does it and I think you know think custard is what we're thinking about. yeah apparently it gives the porridge an amazing texture <laughs> Yeah, so you you could stir like stir an egg into it, and you know with that you've got you know a good amount of choline in the yolk, you've got a good amount of fat, you've got some protein in it, and that's a way of again balancing the the porridge that you're eating. So you know mm. there are there are other ways to do it. Mm. And just touching there on um, kids and and children and breakfasts and things like that, you know, as adults, we can listen to these podcasts and we can educate ourselves and and we can make changes and, you know, be quite kind of out there in terms of the way we want to live our lives. But I think there is still such a huge expectation that children, once they're off breast milk, they then start on, you know, the sweet pureed veggies, so the sweet potatoes and the carrots. And, you know, there's no there's no bitter green veg until, well, years, really. It's, it's we start straight on the sweet foods and then we have baby porridge. And this, you know, this sugar addiction is kind of inherent from such a young age. So how did you approach, I mean, I know you came to your journey with um, your kids and, and food and nutrition maybe later than that very first stage but what do you say to people now that are going through those early stages with their kids I'm, I mean I am I am really passionate about um, children's food and um, the, the thing that I really like to te- speak to parents about is is remembering that eating is a learned skill right it is something that we have to teach our children to do you know in the, mm. it's no different to reading or writing and we put so much effort into sitting with our kids and doing their maths and reading their storybooks and hours and hours of it and we pay so little time and attention to the skill of eating and mm. it is really it has a deeply profound impact on our our family's health and no no better place to start than breakfast right for sure mm. and you know i sure like you grace have have lots of um patients who eat protein breakfast and you know it will come up and i'll be like so what are your kids having for breakfast they're like oh breakfast cereals they won't have anything else you know or oh porridge baby um or you know they definitely wouldn't do anything without their toast and fruit juice in the morning and mm. we do not apply these principles to children and it is we i am so concerned about you know the number of children again i'm seeing them in clinic you know with with type 2 diabetes at a really early age it's something that we have to consider and is profoundly important for the health of of our communities and children and mm. it is a travesty that we continue to to promote these kind of breakfast cereals to children in advertising in supermarkets with colorful packaging to make them super appealing and I I'm really as you can tell it really upsets me um yeah it's difficult to change children's eating habits um and I know that from as you know Grace I, I brought my family up um 
on a vegetarian diet. And it wasn't until my children were older that we chose what I chose to, to change that. So I really understand that, that changing children's eating habits is difficult and it's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes when you're busy, like the path of least resistance of like, here you go, guys, just take the cereals, get on with it, is, is appealing, right, when we've got a lot mm. to do. But fascinatingly, you know, parents have been telling me since they've been at home with their children and in lockdown, the opportunity to shift their eating is actually enormous because they are Mm -hmm. in the house. We as parents are entirely in control about what we buy and what we bring into our home and how we teach our children to eat. People aren't having to get on school buses at seven o'clock in the morning and everybody's got a lot more time in the morning. So I've been hearing some brilliant stuff from parents recently about going, you know what, we've been using this opportunity to change how we eat in the mornings. And, you know, I'm not Mm. cooking different things for everybody at breakfast and really, really working with these protein meals for everybody. And it couldn't be more important than than for our children. Mm, Definitely. And would you say that it's... I mean, why is it so important for women to think about balancing our blood sugar? And I'm in, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, hormones. Yeah, I mean, that that's the short answer, right? You know, that that is the short answer because ultimately, lots of women people come women come to you with a hormone problem, but hormones are the canaries in the coal mine. Is how I look at them. Mm. They're the things that start right. to go wonky when something else in the body isn't right, and often people come thinking actually what I really need to sort out is my hormones and I say to them well actually maybe maybe we start with your blood sugar control and maybe it's your stress because our body actually only produces sex hormones in response to its perception of what's going on in our environment and if something as fundamental as our blood sugar control isn't right our sex hormone production will never ever be okay. And so mm. often with women, I won't say often, I would say always with women come who come to me with a hormonal problem, the first thing I will start on is protein breakfast and balancing blood sugar levels. It, it's it's mm. really, really significant. And people often say to me, well, what are you talking about? You know, I've got too much estrogen or, you know, I've got low progesterone and I want to try and have a baby and my fertility isn't right. And I'm talking to them about, you know, eggs and kitchery and <laughs> for breakfast. Yeah. But I, it really has such... A profound impact on our our sex hormone levels. Mm. And I just think that that is probably if there's a message that I want to come out of this, apart from try a protein based breakfast, it's probably that because I I personally see hormone issues with every single one of my female patients at the moment. You know, whether it's yes, you might have had a, a diagnosis of PCOS that might be kind of the end of the spectrum, but it's low libido, it's you know mood and energy, it's really bad PMS, it's heavy and painful periods that can be avoided you know it's not something that as women we should have to suffer through it's very very common but it's not by any means normal no Um, agreed common but not normal yeah common but not normal and to think that you have the power to change that in just dietary intervention perhaps is massively liberating actually I think it does and it almost seems sort of too simple Grace doesn't it you know like it almost seems too simple and I have just so many testimonials from patients of going I tried it Debbie um I couldn't believe what an impact it had you know and it is something Mm. that that is in our control and I think it's often because 
you know, we can get really complicated about nutrition and just get really focused on what we're eating and is it organic or isn't it organic and where's it come from. But actually, mm. we forget a lot about the principles of eating and blood sugar control and blood sugar balancing or maintaining this as being steady as we possibly can is more of a kind of principle rather than going that's good or that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And just quickly, so say, for example, you are someone that normally has toast or porridge or something for breakfast and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do scrambled eggs and veggies and olive oil and sauerkraut for seven days. Once you've consumed that, if you then wanted a piece of toast, for example, um, are you failing in your chat? Like not failing, but is, is that counter acting the good that you've just done with your protein-based breakfast or is it still much better to do that rather than have the toast first and then the eggs yes absolutely grace yeah 100 percent. and i i think you would be interested um well not you because i know that you you love eating this way too but i think most people would be interested on actually how full they feel after Mm. um having a protein-based breakfast and People, again, other feedback I get is I couldn't believe that I could easily go to 12, 1 o'clock and not need a snack, you know, Mm. because fat and protein trigger our satiety hormones. So things like leptin that that make us feel um, that we're full is triggered much more effectively in the body by protein and fat than it is by carbohydrates. Carbohydrates is... uh, and not great at sending off the hormones that make us feel full. And I, I, we know mm. that because it's, it's the, it's the pudding syndrome I call it, which is like I've ate a really big meal and I've had enough protein and enough veggies, but I could definitely eat tiramisu, right? Because our literally our receptors that tell us that we've had enough carbohydrates are like, no, 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 we could definitely fit in a little bit more. But if I said, well, how about if you have another like half an avocado and a dal, you'd be like, oh, no more, I'm full. And yeah. we, we, we know that, we feel that. I, I, you know, you can eat bowl after bowl after bowl of pasta and bowl after bowl of the most delicious risotto and within 20 minutes you're like, I could definitely eat some more, right? And, and mm. that feeling of, oh, I could definitely eat some more is because our body hasn't produced those satiety hormones to tell us that we're full. And those hormones are much, much better triggered by protein and fat than they are carbohydrates. Mm, Amazing. That's such a great thing to end on because, um, yeah, it's just that age age old adage of, oh, but pudding goes in a different compartment. (laughs) Second stomachs, yeah. (laughs) My husband says that all the time. Um, And I would just lastly like to kind of sum up this, I guess, by saying that, you know, bottom line is, If you feel, like you were saying, if you feel fantastic 100% of the time, and I say this to people who I see in clinic who are vegan as well, I say, that's fine. If you feel fantastic all the time and your bloods are good, then I'm, you know, I wash my hands of it. I'm super happy for you to, to keep going as you are. But if you don't, and if you are tired, and if you do struggle with any of the issues that we have listed today, then it might be time to try something new and it's difficult because we have such an emotional attachment to carbohydrates don't we yeah um you know they make us feel great you know we know that our brains thrive on on glucose and especially now with this lockdown and everything that's had been happening it's it's so tempting to comfort eat and that is carbs for for pretty much all of us so you know 
learning the information and understanding the reasons why you might want to change things up I think is the most powerful message because it is hard let's face it if you are addicted to your porridge first thing in the morning you, you're not going to fancy eggs and veggies it's you have to do it that's why you're saying just try because if you've done it for a few days if you've done it for seven days it becomes so much easier and I promise you that you will never then think that you fancy porridge and if you do like me and you did it the other day you will regret it so much um and I immediately had to eat some uh, eggs and vegetables afterwards because I I instant headache actually yeah. from from that much sugar first yeah. thing and, and and you're right, I, I totally agree, Grace, because I, you know, I was massive porridge eater or, you know, granola or something like that. And you know, I don't I don't miss feeling edgy. You know, I don't miss feeling mm. hungry at 11 o'clock. I don't miss at two o'clock thinking, oh, I can have another cup of coffee or I don't I don't miss like snapping at my kids because I'm a bit hangry. Like I don't miss that stuff, mm. you know. And when I was sort of transitioning the, the way that I ate and my family ate, I just thought about yeah, the porridge tasted good, but do you know what? I don't miss all the other stuff. I, you know, it's not that mm. brilliant at the end of the day to feel mm. moody yeah. and grumpy and angsty and hungry and, you know, it doesn't feel good to feel like that. No, definitely not. Um, okay, well, I think we've... Anything else you want to add, Debbie? Have we covered everything, do you think? 100%. I would just say to everybody, just have a go, right? And see how you feel. You've got nothing to lose. Mm, definitely. And um, tag Debbie in all your protein-based <laughs> breakfasts. <laughs> I have coined the new hashtag, uh, eggs and veg. Eggs and veg. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite thing. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. This has been really, really interesting and I hope super, super useful for people just, again, just to give them the control and to learn about their bodies and to feel like they can make a really, really positive impact on their health with just one meal. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, Grace. I'm really grateful. Amazing. Bye-bye. Thanks, Debbie. Many thanks again to Debbie for joining me today. You can head over to Instagram and follow Debbie Lewis at Debbie Lewis Med, uh, where she also posts incredible content, um, protein brekkie ideas, and just loads of useful tips and tricks. Remember, you can get my ebook, Eggs and Veg, for £10.99 from my website, gracekingswell.com. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>